You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Lacey Henderson was just nine years old when her leg was amputated above the knee. Although she played various sports growing up, she particularly became fond of cheerleading, earning a scholarship to participate in that sport at the University of Denver. In 2012, she decided to give track and field a try and fell in love with that sport as well. Four years later, Lacey would represent Team USA at the Paralympic Games in Rio. But sport is just a part of her identity. She is currently working towards earning a master's degree in sports psychology and continues to serve as a disability advocate. So, Lacey, I thought I'd first just start by thanking you for joining us at Movie United Junior Nationals and uh, and serving as our Master of Ceremonies. Yeah, no, I was, it was an honor to be there and it was an honor to have been asked to do it. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's like a slightly older in the world of disabled sport, it's been really cool to see like the way that it's developing and becoming accessible for younger people. So it was, you know, it was awesome to be there. Unfortunately, it got a little bit of uh, weather uh, delayed or or the weather kind of impacted the, the, the event. So we didn't get to quite finish it. Um, but yeah, it was a wonderful opening ceremony and, and, and you did an awesome job. I just have oh, to... Thanks. I just have to tell you that you did an awesome job at at uh, at serving as the MC for that. Any opportunity to just like talk at, for like a, <laughs> by myself, <laughs> of course I will do that. I do it at home for free all the time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yes, yeah, I just I want a platform. I don't yeah. care what kind of platform it is. <laughs> so let let's dive into kind of you a little bit and. Uh, I know that you were nine when, when you had your leg amputated, and and what what was the the reason that that you or the doctors or your family had to make that decision? Yeah, so I was diagnosed at the age of nine with a soft tissue cancer called synovial sarcoma, um, just like kind of a super rare soft tissue crazy tumor thing that just showed up in my knee. It was not responsive to chemotherapy. And so after like six months of chemo trials, like I was starting to show signs of more permanent like organ damage. And so the decision kind of became very streamlined Uh, in order to save my life. We decided to amputate above the knee. And I was really fortunate. I had an amazing team at Denver Children's Hospital growing up and um, and I never relapsed since then. So it was like all things considered, it was a very like clean cut not not to be punny but a clean cut like cancer experience it was tough i mean while we were going through it but it was probably four to five months of chemo and then the amputation and i mean it was quick but it was um it was relatively straightforward and and was was it a medical decision in terms of did the did the medical team advise it because i'm always intrigued that some people you know, it's it's either the individual or the family. You know that is making that decision, and sometimes it's the in the maybe them being prodded by the medical team. So, what about for you? Um, so it was. I mean, I guess it was a combination of the two. So when I was first diagnosed, they had thrown around the word amputation the whole time, and mm. I come from a sport family, a sport background. My dad went to Olympic trials for track and field, and uh, so the idea of amputation at that time, it's 1999, like we, you didn't see disability in any sort of mainstream way. Like, you you know, the people mm-hmm. with disabilities didn't really exist 
in the forefront of our community. So we were like, uh, hard pass on the amputation thing. We were like, that's a definite, not an option. And then um, as my tumor didn't respond, you know, like this, at this point, like it becomes life-threatening, the actual cancer itself. Um, but the tumor, it was also because it was because of the location and like the just the design of it it had done a lot of damage to like tendons and nerves in my leg area that they were like even if we could salvage this limb it would not be functional um so between the actual like life-saving measure and then like the functionality of trying to like have a limb salvage surgery and then mm-hmm. doing um, more chemo doing a bunch of radiation like just in order to, in order for us to like get back to our lives our doctors were very great at selling us on amputation. They were like, this is the best way to be an active kid again. And, um, and it turned out they were right. <laughs> and, and you mentioned, obviously, your your dad and, and sports in terms of family background. Were you actively playing sports at that time at nine years old? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like kind of why we caught the cancer a little late because I was constantly playing sports. I had complained that my leg had hurt off and on and, you know, my family, it's not, not anyone's fault, but you know, it was like, Oh, well, it's probably sore from soccer practice. It's probably sore from growing pains. You know, like there was always something that we were doing being active. So it was really up until my tumor became like significant enough that I wasn't really using my leg and I wasn't participating in sports. That was when we started kind of doing like the, so the medical search, why, what is happening here? Right. If, if you're playing sports, yeah, your legs are going to hurt. Your knees yeah, are going to hurt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, and so, uh, being in being in Denver, was sports part of your rehabilitation? Yeah, you know, it was really interesting. I had um, physical therapy. I can remember going to like two. I might have gone to three physical therapy appointments post amputation. I was like a little over the hospital at this point. And um, and like, it like, I mean, it was like painful even now. Like, I mean, as an athlete, you go to physical therapy and you're like, I really still have to do all this stuff, man. (laughs) Like, I don't want to. Um, So I was fortunate enough. My dad like kind of took over. My parents were amazing during my like cancer experience. And my mom was like my at-home healthcare person. Like she was like a ride or die during my chemo um, stuff. And then my dad like really took the reins for my rehab. So he had me walking for better or worse. He just like took my crutches away one day. He was like tired of watching me try to walk and have crutches. He was like, all right, enough. Like you're going to just walk today. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of this. Um, So I was walking really early, probably a month or two after my amputation um, with my prosthetic which was just like, you know, a glorified door hinge, like those pediatric prosthetics are not really anything too technologically advanced. But um, yeah, I mean, like my, I remember my first day walking, my dad was making jokes. He's like, I'll have you doing hurdles next week. You know, <laughs> like he, he was definitely ready, but it was like a good measure for me to be able to feel like myself again. So like, I guess a part of my rehab was really, it was a lot of informal sports. So like a lot of like playground basketball, four square, like just like a lot of little kid games. Um, and then like I played on the volleyball team. I'm trying to think I did some, like some adaptive camps that were just offered through the hospital, like whatever cancer camps were made available to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as soon as I was like, you know, back on two feet again, like I was ready, I was just ready to do anything active again. So it was like a little bit of tough love <laughs> from, for sure. Yeah. From that. <laughs> and, <laughs> but but that's the motiv- motivation you needed, right? For sure. Well, and I also like I had my brother is a year and a half older than me. And we had like one other neighborhood kid that was our same age too. So it was good to have like a peer group that like 
influenced the motivation as well to like be able to be like, well, I want to keep up with my friends. I want to keep up with my brother. You know, we were always going outside playing and stuff. And I think because we were so close, we we grew up basically like twins. So it was like good to have, I don't know, to have like also like that kid support network, like just through like my little kid community, like while I recovered from that. And so uh, were you uh, like playing up through high school or were you involved in any sports and recreational activities, organized sports and activity? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Sean. Okay, so after cancer, (laughs) I played like a variety of like random sports. I played like middle school soccer. I played volleyball, whatever. But when I was in the seventh grade, the movie Bring It On came out. And like this was almost equally as transformative in my life as my actual cancer and amputation. So I was like, that is it. Like at me at 12, I was like, those girls are everything. They're so cool. They have cool uniforms. They get to be spunky and sassy and dance. And like I wanted to cheerlead so bad. So my parents, like once again, they never they never put limits on me. Like, I think we had a lot of realistic conversations, but they were like, whatever, you'll figure it out. Like, you know, for better or worse, they were like, if you want it bad enough, you can figure it out. And Mm. again, like I was given the most, like the best available resources, which was at some, at some points with my parents, it was just like their enthusiasm to let me try things. Um, So I was in like um, a couple of like a handful of like tumbling classes at gymnastics gyms. And I ended up making my high school cheer team and we were competitive. Um, I cheered all four years. I was a national varsity cheerleader. Um, and then I got a scholarship for it at the University of Denver. So I was a, a DU cheerleader for my undergrad. And um, that was it. Like cheerleading was everything to me. Like that was my sport. That was my career. Like we would make jokes. We're like, I'm going to school for cheerleading. And I go to class on the side when I have time to go. <laughs> and um, I didn't find like, I didn't know about Paralympic sport. And I didn't know about like really like competitive adaptive sport programs until I was like 21. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was an interesting time because when I was graduating from undergrad, it was 2011 it was like, I hate to brag, but it was the first worst recession of all time. So, you know, there were no real jobs, like nobody was getting jobs with the bachelor's degree. And um, just the timing was so like synchronistic. I had that year I was graduating. Um, I had decided I was like, I've had such an amazing experience. Like I wanted to give back to the children. So I started volunteering at um, the Amputee Coalition's youth camp. Mm-hmm. And that was where I had seen like my first running leg like on a quote normal person whatever that means because like you'd see them in your prosthesis office and like you'd see like the blade runners and like these people that had these running legs and I always had assumed I was like those are people that know what they want to do they knew that they were athletes like I'm you know I'm a serious cheerleader so whatever like I never I never thought about having like a piece of running equipment be like be available to me um, and that was like the first time I'd seen what a, a camper that just had running legs that he would just bounce around and run around on. And I was like, oh my gosh, normal people can get those. Um, and at the same time, I so I was graduating, and my dad and I had like a cheeky bet where like somehow we turned into this conversation that changed everything, where it was like, who was a better athlete? And he went to Olympic trials for pole vault, which is like an intense sport. Like he was mm-hmm. a two-time national decathlete champion. Like he's like a little crazy, like, you know, he just, and so it was like me at 21, like most young people in their twenties, you could not tell me a thing to change my mind. I was like, I am the best athlete. I'm an above the knee amputee with a, a division one athletic scholarship, blah, blah, blah. And so he was like, Lacey, you couldn't pole vault two feet. He's like, you're not fast enough and you're not strong enough. And again, this is the time, the time of my life where I was, I was like, you can't tell me what to do. Like, of course I can. So 
Um, only my family, of course, would have like access to a pole ball pit and poles too for like a bet like that, just casually. Yeah, they're like, okay. just... yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, I'll, we'll jump tomorrow. Like, okay, so but we did. Like, we had access to that. So, um, before I had a running leg, I jumped. I could run like in my day leg, just because like we would have to do some running skills for gymnastics for a cheer. So I jumped six feet on my first day, and I just like I fell in love with the feeling. I'm like super competitive like it's just I have that genetic component that he gave me and um I was like well this is like something I can do still because I know that as I'm graduating college like there's not really professional cheerleaders that do like you know the gymnastics and the stunting skills that you see um and it doesn't really pay the bills and um I was like this is just something I can do for fun it's something new and like the more I was googling amputee pole vaulting I kept getting rerouted to this thing called Paralympics and I was like I had been raised with like the mentality, my parents are in their seventies. So it like when I was being raised, they were very much a proponent of like, raise her like the normal kids, whatever that means at this point, Mm -hmm. raise her like a non-disabled person, no special sports stuff. She doesn't need it, whatever. So it was like for better or worse, it like taught me to really push through a lot of things and like, you know, become like a signature overachiever. But at the same time, um, I think it would have been nice to have known about Paralympic sport earlier, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like, and also break down like just like stigmas that perpetuate like what we believe about disability and disabled sport. But um, when I found Parasport, there's like a coach, I don't know if you know, Tommy Southall, my dad and Tom Southall were like, had been very good friends for a long time, just through the track world. And Tommy is a congenital arm amputee. And he'd been wanting me to do something in Parasport. My dad, of course, was like, no special stuff. So when I started pole vaulting, like I couldn't find other amputee pole vaulters, but Tommy's like, why don't you jump in some races? It's going to help with your jumps. Sure enough. Like we start running the, you know, I qualified for London in my first hundred. It was pretty good. And then I went to my first national championships where I was going to race against other disabled athletes, um, a pair of nationals. And, uh, I got smoked, man. I mean, mean, like (laughs) they were really fast, (laughs) Like, but it was perfect because I needed that like dose of reality. Cause again, Uh I came in, I was like, I'm a D1 athlete. I'm going to show these like poor disabled people, like what a real athlete looks like. And like, man, they, they, I saw a lot of booties in that race. I'll tell you. It was the opposite of that, right? <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and because I'm so competitive, I was like, this is not how this ends for me. So I started training, taking it seriously. And like, you know, the rest I at this point is history, but that was kind of the, the, the start of my track and field career with, within the Paralympic world. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad I asked that question because I wanted to talk a little bit about, I wanted to get to cheerleading. So I, I'm, oh, glad yeah. that, I'm glad oh, we yeah. talk, talked about that. I didn't know Bring It On was your influence. So that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a cinematic masterpiece, truly. <laughs> of course. Of, of course. I think of a top, top five at least, right? Of oh, all time. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, and so um, you were able to, you, you joined your high school team. Obviously, as an amputee, was there any different? I mean, did you, did you, you know, feel different? Did you get treated differently? I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, probably, I mean, maybe more now than even back then, but like that was probably very unique, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I was fortunate. I so I grew up in Denver. I went to. We were the first all-girl graduating class of Regis Jesuit High School. So, hmm. I think going to an all-girl environment made it slightly. I mean, it, I guess it could have gone both way, one way or the other way. Like, if, if people, well, I remember going to tryouts 
And like, I had been practicing in my basement, like doing a round off. I was like, okay, I'm going to nail this round off. Um, and I was pretty good, you know, and I, I could yell and I was strong. I knew that I had those qualities. And I remember like going into tryouts and these girls, like I went to public schools growing up, but these girls, like you could tell, like grew up doing gymnastics. They were on club cheer teams. They people are doing like spin, like these like really advanced skills coming into freshman. And I was like, oh, I can do a round off in my basement. <laughs> like I was like, oh, am I in the right place? Um, but I remember like being in tryouts and being like, well, I'm already here. Like, okay. Like when it comes like for, I'm, you know, for the things that I know, I know I'm not gonna be able to like throw the same tumbling skills that a lot of these acrobats <laughs> that just like moonlight as high schoolers are here for. Um, so I'm going to have to like show my strengths and the other assets of cheer. So for me, it was like being able to learn counts real quickly, the dance, the cheer aspect. Um, and I remember my parents told me like years after that, the fact they're like, we had written you this letter about, you know, how important it is to have goals and going after things, but not necessarily getting, you know, getting what you want because I, because they thought that I wasn't going to make the team, which is like mm. so funny now because I made the team and I know it was because like I was stronger in those other skills, but like, that's the nice thing about being in team sports is you actually like, I think I had a coach and I think that could see like my potential and saw where my strengths were, where other people lacked and like where we just cohesively were going to fit as far as like a team aspect um, and I was really fortunate in that, but I mean, like there was definitely, I think I had more self-doubt, like going to my collegiate tryouts because I, it's just scary. Like there's no like worse feeling than knowing, like, I mean, growing up with a disability, it's already kind of an isolating experience because typically in your everyday life, you're typically the only person with, in my case, limb loss, um, in your community. And then basically volunteering to be put in a position where that's just like, <laughs> magnified and then you right. like you know it's like you're forced to do things that you know that you that you're going to not be able to do that everybody else can um it was you know it's like it's very i wouldn't say humiliating i mean but it is like a very vulnerable position to put yourself in and like some like not everybody wants to be put in that scrutiny and i just i had had like such a good fake it till you make it attitude for a really long time and it served me for a while until you know it doesn't <laughs> but uh when I was younger I think like that it was like it was a good tool to have at the time for sure yeah well and and, and that makes sense right I mean you, you know and and I'm glad that the coach realized that uh everyone you know has different strengths and yeah. and if you have a have a team atmosphere if it's not an individual sport that you do need everyone with different different strengths to make the team stronger as as a yeah. unit exactly yeah and so you know Again, just unpacking a little bit more of the of the the cheerleading thing. What you know, when and how and, and why did you think you wanted to do it at a D one school and and do it at the collegiate level? I actually like so I had been like I was being like lightly recruited by the collegiate coach, and I at that point I like kind of had an introduction and like into like the light world of like social justice warriors, even in high school. So I was like, no, I'm going to go to school and be like, I'm going to change the world. And like, I'm going to be a real scholar. And I was in like peace jam and amnesty international, like these clubs and stuff in school. So I was like, no, I'm ready to be like, take myself seriously. And like cheerleading is just like silly. It was fun for now, but um, I loved that sport. So like I had been lightly recruited and they asked me to try out like the spring coming, like my, it would have been my senior year of high school spring coming into my freshman year. And I just didn't, I like didn't show up. Cause I remember talking to my, some of my like club coaches. Cause we would see like, I'd have my privates to like help me with other tumbling skills outside of my school practice. 
oh my god god bless my parents um <laughs> god i know i look back and i'm like oh, you saints but uh i remember just like seeing like you would see college teams come to some of the competitions and like showcase a performance and you're like they're so much bigger they're so much more grown up than me they're so much stronger and like they do way more advanced skills and like i just don't think I can do it. Like I was like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to like put myself out there. I don't think that I'm good enough. And I wasn't ready for somebody to tell me that. So I think I was preemptively being like, no, I'm going to not, I'm going to choose something more important. And like, it's, I mean, whatever. Um, And so like, I let those tryouts like come and go. And then they had a, like a last minute fall tryouts. Cause they were like, we need to fill two more slots. And I was still like, I'm not really sure, whatever. And I remember the day rolled up and thank God it was the University of Denver. My parents were close because I remember calling my mom frantically and I was like, I just want to go see. Like I, now I just want, and like, cause I just, I loved that sport so much. And so I'm like frantically calling my mom, I'm like bring my cheer shoes. Like I just want to see. And like, I remember tryouts, there was like 60 girls. Uh, it, was an, it was another all girl team and there's only two <laughs> slots. And I was like, and of course they're like standing back handsprings. And like, I could do a standing back handspring, but I hadn't done it on hardwood. Like I had done it on like cheer mats. And in college, you have to do a lot of stuff at basketball games. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I was like, I'm close, but I'm like, I remember not doing the skill. And I was just like, oh my God, I just need to walk out right now. Um, but again, I think because I had like, I could learn dances very quick. And then at that point I became a really strong like partner stunt, like a base. So again, it's like, I had a skill that I think that I was lucky enough that like the team needed to fill. And so there was one other girl who was of course like an elite gymnast that was tiny, (laughs) that was the flyer. And then I was the second person to make the team, which was the base. And that was it. It was just two people made the team. And, uh, Mm It was, I mean, the college sport experience was amazing. I hope I is my hope that like more and more kids with disabilities are able to like have some sort of collegiate athletic experience because it's just like, it's just, it's a different level um, for a variety of reasons. It's like, you know, it's more serious, but it's also like fun and social. And like, it's just a, a completely, it's a new way of learning about yourself, especially like kind of a cool time of your life. And, um, yeah. I mean, that was like, it was, I didn't think yep yeah, until all of a sudden that was it. And then it just consumed my world again, but I loved, I love that sport. And and so, you know, how do you, how do you uh, balance that vulnerability uh, with, you know, obviously your, uh, you know, gung ho, I can do anything approach. Cause I, I heard both of those and, and, and just what you said. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think questioning yourself, like, you know, now like the term is, what is it? Imposter syndrome, but questioning yourself is like a human tendency, mm-hmm. no matter where you are, even in your career. But um, for me, and even that, like now with my studies and everything for me, I guess what it really came down to is I was lucky enough to have had as many experiences that I did where I think I hadn't wrapped my entire identity up with being an athlete. And I think like that has continued to serve me. I don't think I've been necessarily the strongest in that, especially like as you get more and more elite at the professional level of sports. But I I was lucky enough to have, I think, a pretty good solid foundation in who I was outside of just like a sport performance thing. Like, of course it would have been crushing and like, I w- but I would have found something else to do. Like, I think I, I made the cheer team and then I also was in like a club dodgeball team at the same time. And I was like, all right, I got to quit dodgeball guys. <laughs> like, I can't, like, okay, um, this is my sport now, but yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with like, I was, I was lucky enough to have had friends like in different social groups that like, you know, my, my identity as an athlete wasn't like the driving part of who I was. And and since shooting is such a, an important part of your, 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 who you are and your past, uh, 
did you not look into doing it professionally? You know, like uh, one of the professional sports teams or anything? Yeah. I mean, for a while, the Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets had a really good um, pro tier team that like had good partner settings and stuff. But for the most part, like all the NFL squads are all dance, like pretty much like their cheerleaders are like primarily dance. And like, I mean, I've like judged some dance competition, but like my pirouette is not that tight. Like I mean, I am not like I can learn sideline dances, but I am not a dancer. Like, and I think anybody that has technical background in dancing, they're like, they know, like I just, even when I would judge dance, I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you guys do this? It's so beautiful. Like, it's so, You guys are so graceful. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely more of like a power athlete, which was great in cheerleading, but dance, you need a little bit more finesse than I think <laughs> that I, that I currently have. And that word technique, right? There's always, yeah, there's exactly. Yeah. And they just, you know, you don't see partner stunting really at the professional levels and like, you know, it's just, it's just slightly different now. Okay, and so so pivoting to, to track and field, um, I think you you picked it up and you said in 2010, 2011, somewhere in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my first, I think I was pole vaulting. My first time ever, I think pole vaulting was 2010, and then it was like coming into 2011. 2011 was like my first net, uh, U.S. nationals. Okay, and um, and so then you made. Uh, the team in to in Rio for 2016. Yeah. Uh, what what were your expectations going into to that Paralympic game? I had like such an interesting experience. So um, I like so in 2012 I had qualified for London, then I didn't make the team, and then 2016 I don't know I'm sure you read, but 2016 I went to trials. I won trials and then I originally was not selected to Rio. And like, that was another earth shattering moment just because at that point, like my identity was being an athlete. I had moved to Phoenix. I had joined like a, a group there. Like my, I had like some stuff going on with my family. My parents were divorcing. Like all this stuff was kind of happening in the background, but I was like, just make this team, just make this team. Like, this is all this important to me. And then it just didn't happen. And like a lot of that has to do with a, like the structure of how USA does their selection, whatever. We can talk about that another time. Yes. But um, I hadn't planned. I mean, you know, it's like I didn't plan on not being on that team. Um, so I that was where I think I was forced to remind myself as an adult um, the importance of like, you know, athlete identity and having like having a good foundation in yourself outside of athletics as well. Um, and that, that consequently helped me for Tokyo. But uh, when I got the call that I did make the Rio team, you know, I had not, most people normally train like before they go compete for the Paralympics. And like, for me, I took a healthy break <laughs> leading up to it. So I remember when I got that call, I had like called and texted a few like key people in my life. Like one was my sports psychologist. One was my coach. And like one was a training partner. And, um, I remember my coach wrote me back because I was like, they want me to go and I haven't been training. My coach was like, listen, he always like spoken riddles. He was like, Yoda. He was like, you steer your own ship. And I'm like, okay, I know I need somebody to make this decision for me. I need somebody with a clear head. Um, and then my training partner is like, congrats. That's amazing. Like he is an Olympian. So he had just jumped at Rio or yeah, right before us. And at the same time, my like sports psychologist was like, Lacey, you have sacrifice so much like just literally for this moment like you go find your running leg and you're gonna go to the games and like at that same time I remember my training partner I was like I haven't trained like this is insane I, I you can't go and not train and my training partner I'll never forget it he was like forget training jump anyways and like that was exactly what I, I mean it was kind of one of those like again like another version of fake it till you make it like you know it's like just go for it like this who cares like you've done everything you've done the work just jump anyway you know how to jump 
So um, when I went to, when I went to Rio, I think I was one of the few people that like really had an opportunity to just be very present while I was there, you know, cause I was like, well, it's not my best, but hopefully it's enough, you know, you're like, okay. So I was able to really, really just enjoy the experience. And then when competition came, um, I was actually like, I had one other, there's one other U S athlete that was in the long jump with me. And I was the only U S athlete that made it to finals, which was like insane. Cause I was like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, and, and I fit like, like when you make it to finals, it's top eight. I finished eighth overall. Like, again, it was like, I have not jumped. I like had two days of training before they shipped us out to Rio. Um, but it was like such an amazing experience because I think the Paralympics at that point, it became abundantly clear that like the games are the celebration of an accumulation of like work, sacrifice, mm-hmm. the pain, you know, the the heartbreak that you go through. And it's really more of like, that is, that's the moment for me to really like celebrate all the work and even like having to go through cancer and what it took to even just get to that point. When I love uh, just your own philosophy and, and viewpoint on having an identity outside of sport or outside of athletics, because I think that's, uh, what, what, you know, you're, you're known for now. I mean, like, you know, yeah, yes, you competed at an elite level and, and, and you know, you always be able to have the, the PLY behind your name or say oh, yeah. Paralympian, but you know, you know, the stuff that you're doing now and the stuff that you've done since is, is what, you know, I, I, uh, am more intrigued about. And, and one of the things that you're doing is you're, you're, earning a master's degree uh, in, in sports psychology. So you've already talked about sports psychology a little bit. So I, I could see why that that you decided to follow, you know, that path, that career path or journey, because I can see how it's just interwoven into, into who you are and what you, what you, what you're about. Yeah. You know, I was really fortunate. Like I had an amazing experience with my sports psychologist in Phoenix. And so I like had knew that I wanted to do it. And then like, yada, 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 a whole pandemic happens. Then Tokyo trials happens again. I win trials. And then I just, they told me I was number 27 and they only had 26 female slots. I'm like, Oh, might've been better to not know that part. But it was like, that was the catalyst that I was like, all right, it's time because I want, I've wanted to be like in the sport world, but I didn't know what capacity I didn't know where. And I think like, once you've done this long enough and you see a little bit behind the curtain of like the bigger organizations, the USOPC, you know, IPC, like I was like, all right, I think if I want to work directly with athletes, so like in a positive way, I'm not sure that this is the route that would be the thing that gets me there. So, um, I just, again, it was like perfect timing. Like there's this new sports psychology program that was going to be hybrid available through the university of St. Thomas. Um, and the advisor was a, she was an Olympic steeplechaser and we knew a lot of the same people. So she was like, yes, this is perfect for you. And um, I'm, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing an IRB research study right now. And for me, we've like, we've been able to work with a few sports psychology professionals, like through para and they have never, they weren't disabled people, no offense to the non-disabled and they weren't para athletes. And so I think that it was a component I think I still do think it's a component that's just like overlooked and just underappreciated because there's certain aspects of disability Mm-hmm. They don't drive the ship, you know, they're not running the show, but they're a big important variable that I think comes with it. So um, I think like as far as the population that needs to be served slightly better in that in that discipline, like I was like, why not? Why not me? So that's um, I'll be done this December and 
and hopefully working with a lot more athletes. So, yeah, as you mentioned, you'll you're, you're graduate in December with that master's degree. And, and is that what you wanted to, I mean, do you want to be a, essentially a sports psychologist? Is that the job title that, that uh, Lacey wants to have afterwards? I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm so good at just like rolling with the punches. I'm like, wherever the wind blows me. But so I will get, so right now I'm non-clinical. So like the term would be, I would be a certified mental performance coach or sports psychology consultant. I think like if I can just like stomach another application process, like I'll probably, most likely I'll finish like with clinical licensure later, but I'll be able to work with athletes and like to have the certification that USOPC uses by December. Um but yeah, I mean, I think that like, it's so interesting. And I think that there's, I think there's a lot of valuable information that the disabled athlete population can contribute to society as a whole, as far as like perceptions of disability, like against their own competitors, because, you know, even in parasport, like not one disability is created the same. So like, what are our motivating factors? What's, you know, there's, I think there's so much that we can contribute that's just kind of been overlooked because they didn't have like the perspective that from someone on the inside, you know, so mm -hmm. I think that um, I think like both in a way to help athletes and like help athletes also cope with like the stresses that comes with being at the elite level, especially now, like Parasport has more um, transparency than it's ever had and more marketing than it's ever had. And like, how do you manage those pressures? But also at the same time, how do we take from disabled sport and like, contribute to society as, as a whole in a better and more positive way? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good, very good point. And, and one of the other kind of, well, that's almost a perfect lead in terms of, of <laughs> one of the things you're doing next month, which is you're 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 participating in a in a sports diplomacy envoy. Talk, talk about that. Yes, I'm a I keep calling myself. I'm like that diplomat gal. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> I was I was really fortunate. I was invited in May to do a, a sport diplomacy envoy in Peru. Um, they the U.S. Uh, uh, was it the U.S. embassy there wanted to do a like have a couple athletes come over Paris specific athletes that spoke Spanish, um, go and like talk to some of the like local municipalities, some of their like local sport programs and like why disabled sport is important, how to kind of help build the scaffolding and infrastructure there for disabled sports. So then I was asked again, just recently through the department of state and through athletes for hope to do this, um, this sports diplomacy envoy in Tanzania. So it's an exchange program. They sent a bunch of, um, Tanzanian athletes here in 2020, in January oh. um, for basketball in DC. And they did a bunch of stuff. They were learning best practices. And then they were supposed to do the exchange in March of 2020. And there was, I don't know if you know, there's a global pandemic. So it was delayed for a little bit. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it was delayed. <laughs> so it was delayed. <laughs> and uh, so they were doing it this October. Um, and again, I've told them to, I'm like, while I'm finishing this degree, you know, I'd love to like share any of the stuff that I've learned or if we do any workshops. So like, hopefully we will be implementing some of that, but also I think just the education aspect that sports is, is, and should be available to everyone. And I think like, that's something culturally that a lot of different cultures just don't, they haven't made that connection yet. And I think like coming from the U S like, because of just where we are situationally politically in the world, like it's my opinion that I think that we have an obligation to share the the way that we help people, the way that we, you know, contribute to every citizen and, um, you know, and be a leader and a role model in that. So, you know, I think that it's, it's like, it's really cool. I'm really honored that I've been invited to that. And, um, you know, I hope that I see some sort of like exotic wild animal or some, <laughs> I don't know anything about Tanzania. I have so much Googling to do. Like, <laughs> I don't know anything. I really don't. So I'm excited to learn. 
Well, and sport is such a powerful vehicle for for what you just said, right? In terms yeah. of accomplishing that. So, um, Lacey, how I know that you have a website. So, how do people reach out to you? What what is your website? And what social media platforms would you like to share? Yeah, my website is LaceyJHenderson.com. I do have some of my sports psychology stuff in there now. I'm just sporadically putting it in. My Instagram is Lacey is your friend. Um, I do like a lot of just silly everyday random stories. Um, my Twitter's Lace is your friend. I'm pretty much I feel like I'm on all the normal ch- I'm on TikTok, but I I think I have like two videos. It's like I'm like just miss the age like demographic to really be effective there. Probably Instagram and the website are the best. That's awesome. No, I, I'm right there with you. I'm not on TikTok. We are, but I'm not. Time, <laughs> honestly. Well, thanks so much, Lacey, for being our guest. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.